0: say, y'all are really good sports for putting up with all that icebreaker stuff. Yeah, um, here it's, you didn't notice that all the people with the M divs were all in the back of the room acting really important. Like, we had really important things to do so we couldn't walk around like a bunch of animals. It's the reason why we go to seminary, is that we get to put other people into activities. Uh, it's exactly the... But actually, this is a true story I just thought of it this moment. My friend, speaking of animal sounds, my little... My friend Nathan is now going to Harvard as a PhD student. When he was a little boy, his dad and I are best friends. His Dad was reading to him one day, and they was teaching him animal sounds. He says, so Nathan, what sound does a dog make? Woof, woof, woof. What sound does a cow make? What sound does a cat make? Meow. What sound does a mouse make? He said, Click. So let's let's dive in this evening and and talk about uh, talk some more about what it means to be following. Let me let me start with a quote from Jewish rabbi and scholar Abraham Joshua Heschel. Faith is not clinging to a shrine, but the endless pilgrimage of the heart. Faith is not clinging to a shrine, but the endless pilgrimage of the heart. What I want to talk about tonight as we stepped into the uh, act three and act four of the grand drama, is the grand drama of the scriptures, faith is best understood as following. When you believe in Jesus, you don't simply just give mental assent to Jesus, but you actually move your body. And it is in the moving of your body, the actually changing of your life experience, of saying yes to God, of acting as if it is so, that we enter into the grand story that can heal the world. Faith is about following God into the world. Faith is about belonging to God and being part of God's mission to God's world. Saying yes to the call of God and following Christ into the world. So. This drama that we've been called into starts with God. Let's never forget this. It's God's story. When we make it about ourselves, we distort it. But it is God's story that God does with us. God refuses to heal the world without us. I want you to pause on that one for a moment. God refuses to heal the world without us. That is what God has promised to do. That is what God's word has been about. That has been God's promise from the very beginning. And today we're going to explore that, tonight and tomorrow, in some detail. So remember the five-act play. Act one is creation. Act two is fall. Act three, Israel. Act four, Jesus. Act five, church. So tonight we're going to talk about following as leaving and trusting. And as I read two passages, I want you to consider two questions. Two questions that you're going to, have, going to return to later today. If faith is following, then what do you need to leave behind? If faith is following, what do you need to leave behind? And if faith is following, what do you need to trust to God? What do you need to leave behind, and what do you need to trust to God? Two, t- two passages. One that talks about Israel, one that refers back to Jesus. One from Genesis, one from Romans. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then Romans 1:16 to 16-17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Let me pray for us. Oh God, you are the one who whispered to Abram and a people was born. And you are the one who came into this world and died so that a world could be saved. And you are the one who went to act power of your spirit has been poured out upon your church and has been offered to us. So speak to us, we pray tonight. Let's hear your voice and install the voices. Let us become more profoundly aware that you are the one who speaks, that you are the one who calls, that you are the one who promises, that it is your power that saves the world and that you have called us to participate in it. It is in your name we pray. Amen. We've been doing icebreakers, and so I've thought about the fact that most of my life, I was in the position that now and some of the other people were in. I started as a youth pastor so that meant that usually I had to come up with the game that people had to do the, the icebreakers. breakers I led a conference for several years at a college conference called College Briefing at Forest Home and a camp in California and I, my job was to always make sure that I got the crowd going especially the very first night it was my job to bring us together and to do something that would be really fun so that, so that all of these different college students who would come in who would be just way too cool for school would all immediately become friends and so we'd immediately make them embarrass each other and so what we would do is We'd get in front and we would do a, we would make a group of them do the hand motions to just an old children's song, uh, just Swing Low, Sweet Chariot." Y'all know that song? And we'd have them stand up and they'd start up we'd make these, we'd get the coolest kids we possibly could, the ones who just couldn't do it, and we'd make them do the hand motions. Pretty soon the band was playing. After a while, everybody was doing it and you could just see them up there, you know, Swing Low. Sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. And they, and they would go in and on and on and on, and it would get bigger and bigger and bigger, till the whole room finally was swing low, sweet chariot coming for, to carry me home, and it would build to a crescendo until finally they were falling over. Who could do it louder? Which side could compete? It would go back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, until finally you just blow the, the roof off the place, everybody become friends, icebreaker, it did exactly what it's supposed to do, and I'd be exhausted and I'd get to sit down. And then one year, one of the guys that I brought with me to be on the faculty walked up to me, and his name was Rick, and he said to me, he goes, Todd, that was incredible. That must work every year. He goes, I do it all the time. And I just get these kids. I get them singing children's songs. Next thing you know, they're all being friends. And he looked at me and goes, that's awesome. Do you know where Swing Low Sweet Chariot came from? No, I don't. You see, Rick was an African-American pastor from the inner city. It's not Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. That's, I'm not saying anything about what you just did. It's, but that's the song that the slaves sang in the fields right after their children were sold. You see, that's the song that they would sing right after one of them had died. Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Come and just take me home. This world has gotten so bad. Swing low, sweet chariot. Come and take me home. I looked over Jordan and what I see. Coming to take me home, band of angels. There are so many places in the world where there's just so much pain that you can imagine what it was like to get to the place where all of a sudden the only prayer you got left is to ask for this life to be over. And for many of us, that's exactly what what our greatest hope of the gospel is that no matter how bad it gets, someday when this life is over, there will be a sweet chariot who will take us home. (laughs) I've been with friends, older members of my congregation. One lady said to me after her husband passed, she was getting into her eighties, and she finally. I said to me, I said to her, I don't know how you do it, how you've handled so much grief. And she looked at me and she said, you know, what I now know is that I'm only just a breath away from being in that great banquet. I'm just one breath away from having the Lord take me home. It's a great comfort in the midst of pain. But it does also beg the question for us. Is there more to our faith than just getting to heaven when we die? For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Is that only for the afterlife? Is it only for the then? I can remember becoming a brand new Christian, brand new Christian, and, being to- and giving my life to Christ And being assured, I remember the person assuring me, Todd, if you died tonight, you would be with Jesus. It's a great affirmation. But I can remember being a 17-year-old teenager and asking, so then what do I do in the meantime? Is the good news only about the God who will someday rescue us from this world? Or is there more to it? And what the grand story reminds us is that the great hope of the gospel is not just that we will be with God for eternity, and we will, but that the good news of God comes to us now. It enters into this world, here and now. That we are to be the answer to the prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That the way you want the world to be now should happen through us. That's why we're here. Our job—that's what it means to be the church. What it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be a person who absolutely commits to this reality. That no matter what we do, we are committed to making sure that wherever our feet touch, whatever bit of this planet we are part of, whatever we're responsible for, whatever is the little corner of this creation that God has put under our care, this one is going to be more of have more of the will of God. That God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth, starting now and lasting to into eternity. For Paul, Romans 1.16 is his response to the Negro spiritual sung and slave, the sung sung by the slaves, and it is the response. To the brokenness of the world that you and I would feel. Romans 1, 16 and 17 is the way Paul talks about it. He puts it this way. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God. The goodness, the justice of God. That's what that word in Greek means. It means I'm not afraid, shame of the gospel, because in the gospel God's justice is revealed. He gives us a glimpse of how the world, the way the world should be. That when we are in the midst of pain, The gospel is the way that God shows up and says, I am here. I am right here in the middle of it. I'm here in the field with you. I'm here in the hospital room with you. I'm here in the brokenness in the middle of the night. I'm here when you are lonely. I'm here when you've betrayed your promises. I'm here when you've made mistakes. I'm here when the world has gone wrong. I'm right here. How do you know this? Because the gospel says so. The good news of the gospel. The righteousness of God is that God is keeping his promise. That the God who is the creator of this world has not given up on this world. And that he's keeping his promise to heal his world through his people. That's what's promised in Genesis chapter 12. By the way, I think if our Sunday school would make kids memorize Genesis 12, 1 through 3, as much as we do John three 16, we'd have a better theology. We would understand that the whole reason why we've been chosen is that we are to be blessed by God, to be a blessing to all the people in the world. That the gospel is the way in which God came into the world, chose this one Abram, and Abram says yes to God so that he will be blessed to be a blessing. That that is where the gospel begins. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is where the gospel begins for us. And everything that happens from there becomes an extension of those verses. So this is what I want you to hear today. The good news is that a good God is making the whole world right through all who believe the good news. The good news is that a good God is making the whole world right through all who believe it. Let's make sure we have this, right? So what is the gospel? What is the good news? Uh, This is where most of us quote John 3.16, and that is some very good news. God does love the world so much. He did give His Son. Amen. We can have everlasting life with Him. That is great, but that's not the good news. The good news, capital T, capital G, capital N, the good news, in Mark chapter 1, is really clear. It's in Matthew chapter 4. It shows up twice. Jesus came preaching the gospel, the good news, and it was... Repent, for the kingdom of God has come here. The good news is that God's reign, his rule, his power, has broken in in Jesus. That God is making the world right. Here's the good news. As bad as it would be in any place you are, God is present making it right through his people. That's the good news. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it's in it the righteousness of God has been revealed. We see that God is present, that his justice is here. And how is it here? Because his people are present. You and I are the sign to the world that God has not given up on it. You and I. The very fact that we are gathered in this place, the very fact that we know who to pray to, The very fact that we are gathered around this word and that we have some praise to God, the very fact that we are here is the sign to the world that God has not given up on this world. Every week when you gather for worship, remember that you are gathering in public space. I know it feels like a sanctuary, but the door should be open. Your voice should be carried. Anybody who should be looking should be able to hear that there's a sign that this world, no matter how bad has happened, no matter whatever happened on Saturday night, every Sunday morning we are reminded God has not given up on this planet and the way we know so is because he has a people who are there, who are believe in him, who trust that he is making the world right and are witnessing to it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So through faith, when we believe it, when we believe that God is at work, by the power of his spirit, through his people, we become followers of the king. By faith, we receive salvation. The God's kingdom begins to enter into our lives. We begin to live under his reign and rule. We have the promise that it, of not only eternal life someday, but abundant life today. And by faith, the power of death is undone. And the power of eternal life becomes real and active. And so like Abram, who followed the voice of God, we, when we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, we begin to live out every bit of that, of his life, his reign extends, his witness is present, and the families of God are blessed. The good news is that a good God is making the whole world right through all who believe the good news. Which means, dear friends, That you cannot be a participant in this story without participating in the story. That the very purpose for our believing is to join the drama. It's to live it out. It's to demonstrate. It is to proclaim with our lips and demonstrate with our lives that there is a new king, that there is a new, that God is healing his world. Uh, N. T. Wright, the British theologian puts it this way: in every circumstance of life, in every place where we are, at every kitchen table, every corporate boardroom table, in every law office or classroom or business business or marketplace or home or school or church, there should be one question and one question asked, what does it look like if God is running this place? What would it look like if God's will was being done in this place? That's the only question we ask. We are to be the people who say, we want God's will in our lives, We we have received his forgiveness, we know we are not perfect, but we are committed to seeing his will done. His gracious, kind, loving, inclusive, accepting will. So our story begins in Abraham's story. And for us to step into that story and say yes to it, two things have to be part of our lives. Two things that I want to talk about. Responding to God's calling and trusting in God's covenant. Let me say something briefly about each of those. Responding to God's calling and trusting in God's covenant. First of all, calling. Saying yes to the voice of God. Every single time. Part of the reason why I'm a Presbyterian is I love baptizing babies. I love to hold them up. And I love to hold them when they can barely keep their head up. And I love to hold that little baby's head. I like to hold them to getting ready to baptize them. When all they can ever do is figure out how to like spit up on my suit. And I love to say to that little one, you were loved into existence. You were loved already. You are not better, but you are blessed. So we are all gathered here today to proclaim again how much God loves you and pray so that someday you will say yes to the God who says yes to you. And every time I would baptize those babies and I would look into their faces, I would always find myself looking over those little fuzzy heads into the eyes of someone who might have heard the gospel for the very first time. You were loved into existence. God knows you by name. We ask you to say yes. The God who's already said yes to you. To believe the gospel is to say yes to God. That's what Abraham did. Look, there's not a single bit of evidence in the scriptures that Abraham was any better than anyone else. Noah, it says he was a righteous man. Abraham, nothing about him. Almost like damned with faint praise. You know, kind of like when the kid when your parents would say, Oh, Todd, my his brother Scott is so smart, but Todd, he's helpful. Um, <laughs> Noah, a righteous man. Abram, nothing. But God speaks to him. Abram says yes. He tells him he has to leave behind and follow. And it's in that act of leaving behind, of leaving behind the things of this world, the voices of this world, the definitions of this world, the things of our culture that define us, that we actually, when we say yes to God, we enter in to the deep belief that we are now defined by his voice and not the voices of our For every one of us who says yes to the call of God, the call of God that we do not deserve, the call of God that loves us exactly as we are, and it calls us to come forth exactly as we are, but for every one of us, it will require for us that we have to leave something behind. I grew up in a family where there were two types of people. Uh, My grandmother used to say this all the time. She would define every single person that my cousin Kim was dating. Every man was defined in one of two ways. It would be like, oh, he's terrible. He's an alcoholic. Or, he's amazing, he's a workaholic. There's only two types of men in my family. There were alcoholics and workaholics. Alcoholics or workaholics. You just figured out pretty early in your life that you had to figure out which one you were gonna be, except for my brother, the overachiever, who could figure out how to be both. But besides him, The rest of us. And so, so I lived my life with the definition I did not want to be an alcoholic, so I committed myself to be the workaholic. Praise be to the gospel who comes and gives me a different way to define myself. That's it's not about whether I am dysfunctional or live for myself, or whether I want to prove myself and achieve to be able to gather identity for myself, but instead I can say yes To God who loves me entirely, entirely as I am, who invites me just as I am to say yes to him and live for him, I can leave behind. What are the voices you have to leave behind in order to follow Jesus? What are the things that you will have to leave behind in order to say yes to God and to his kingdom? What do you need to leave behind? Calling is saying yes to God. So what is it for you? What is your country, your kindred, your father's house? What's that that is familiar, that defines you, that gives you security, that we cannot follow without leaving? And for so many of us, this is the rub, right? We come to church because we actually don't really want to leave our vulture behind. We just hope the church will tidy them up a bit. We'll clean them up and keep them out of trouble. That maybe if they're involved in youth group or maybe they're involved in service, they'll just be good no robust people who are fit in. But what about a world where more and more, as it moves away from God, where we might be seen as being more and more odd? What are we willing to leave behind? Second, the life that embodies the good news is a life of trusting in God's covenant. Covenant is the alternative to our individual conditions. Covenant is the alternative to our being able to achieve anything. When we believe in God's covenant, we are saying that we believe that our self-image is not about where we came from or what we've achieved or what anybody said about us or what our past is about, but our self-image is only about the fact that God loves us exactly as we are and calls us to him. Abraham did not live by his culture. He did not live by his condition. He trusted in God's covenant promise. And he trusted even when it was difficult. What was the promise to Abram? Abram, your family will bless the world. Your children. This is not a spiritual thing. This is not a metaphor. This is a literal thing. You're gonna have kids, you and your 80 year old wife. And they had to wait for 20 years. 20 years. They were called in their barren condition, and they trusted God's covenant more than their condition. As the years went by and still no baby came, they trusted God's covenant more than their condition. They didn't do it perfectly. They faltered. At times, they tried the wisdom of the culture instead. They had consequences of that faltering that stays with us to this very day. But over and over again, they came back to this reality. God called us. God has called us. God made covenant with us. God will keep his promise. By saying yes to God over and over again, Abraham and Sarah were shaped by the covenant promises of God even more than their condition in their current culture. So not only do what do you need to leave behind, what do you need to trust God with? What is the thing that you need to entrust into his care for him to take care of so that you can fully follow Him? You see, because what you and I are called to do is to reveal to the world God's righteousness in the midst of the brokenness. We are to become as people who say that our wor- we are not perfect, our world is not perfect, our church is not perfect, nothing about us is perfect, but this is what we believe and what we know, is that we have a great God who's entered into this world, who has called us by name, who's claimed us as his children, who's invited us to trust in his promises that he will not let us go, and we are going to be faithful to him no matter what. So we will leave behind the things of this culture, and we will trust God with the things of our condition. Stop us. What is it for you? For most of us, this is the moment when we have one of two responses. Either it dawns on us that this Christianity thing is way more demanding than we thought. I mean, I thought I was supposed to be like a spectator. I thought I was going to be religious. I thought I was going to be part of a group of people who were going to try to do some good in the world. I didn't think I'd actually have to, you know, be on the stage. And so we reconsider. Jesus was clear over and over and over again. He told people to count the cost. Just go ahead, count the cost. If If you don't want to follow, don't. But this is what it means. To enter into the kingdom means to say yes to Jesus and to what he is doing in the world. It's to say your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will, your will. So everything about me is given over to you, God. I'm part of your great group of your great people who, once we know we've been saved by grace through what Jesus has done on the cross, we give ourselves totally over to you. It's, It's yours. It all belongs to you. Our home, our intellect, our will, our resources, it's yours. This is what we exist for. Or the other response that some of us have is, we really don't believe it. We don't really believe that God wants to use anybody like me. If you only knew what I've done. If you only know what I do. If you only know what happens in secret. I don't know if you've been following, but there's a prediction that tomorrow, 400 pastors are going to resign across the country because their names were all found on the Ashley Madison website. 400 pastors went on a website that was dedicated to helping them out in a We are broken, broken people. Some of us sit here and think this good news thing is for somebody else. I'm just going to cheer them on because it can't possibly be for me. God couldn't possibly be calling me. This is why it's the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved. And all you have to do is believe it. Believe that he's called you by name. That he wants you to participate in what he is doing in the world. That he knows everything you've ever done and everything that you're ever going to do. And that he wants you to say yes to him. And to trust his covenant promise that he will never let you go. You cannot lose God's love. He does not revoke his call. He will hold you entirely. One of my favorite stories comes out of a play by Paddy Chiesky called Gideon. It's the story of Gideon, who in the middle of the night was pondering why God had called him to be a judge who would lead Israel. And Gideon is alone in his tent in the middle of a stark desert, and he prays to God, and he says, God, 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 are you out there? God. Why love me? Why do you love me, God? into the privilege to be able to proclaim the good news that the God of the who created this world is making this world right it means to say yes with your life exactly as you are right now with all your brokenness with all your doubts to say yes to him entirely to trust that he is calling you by name and to trust that his covenant will not let you go and then to live for him do you need to leave behind so you can say yes to the God who said yes to you? What do you need to trust God so that you can live for him each day until his kingdom comes and his work is done in all the earth? God, tonight you know those of us who can't hear this good news. And you know those of us whose hearts are beating because it's the best thing we've ever heard. You know us. You love us. You're calling us. And so I pray that you'll speak to each of us. That you'll speak as clearly in the center of our hearts as you did to Abraham. That you'd give us courage to leave behind whatever it is that holds us back and to entrust you with whatever it is we think about ourselves that you can't possibly love. To believe that you literally are revealing your righteousness to the world through us. And I pray that in each of us and in all of us and for this congregation, on the little corner of the kingdom that you have given them in Indiana, that their kingdom would come, the will would be done in that place, in those neighborhoods, spreading from that place, in every workplace, to every home, to every part of the civic center, because they have said yes to you. Lord, your love is unreasonable, your grace is abounding, your mercy is overwhelming, and you are here. Give us the faith to believe and to follow. Amen.